This is episode number nine of the Jazz and Blues Affinity Podcast. Today's guest is jazz singer and radio host Stephanie Patton, who joins me today for a discussion about human potential and jazz as a vehicle for personal expression. You're listening to the Jazz and Blues Affinity Podcast, hosted by Derek Zaborin. Each week, Derek interviews a diverse range of musicians who perform this music as well as writers and researchers who advocate on its behalf. Join in for engaging conversations that highlight the individual perspectives that shape today's jazz and blues scene. Here's your host, Derek Zaborin. Stephanie Patton is a jazz vocalist in Ketchikan, Alaska. Her album, A Breath of Spring, was released in 2017, and it features a range of jazz standards. She's also the host of After Hours Alaska, a jazz radio program in which she interviews some of the greatest musicians of jazz. Today, we're honored to have her on Jazz and Blues Affinity for a discussion about jazz as a vehicle for personal expression. Welcome to the program, Stephanie. It's an honor to have you here today. Hi, Derek. It's it's really great to be here with you and the listeners. Now, you're an advocate and you're an artist for this music. When did you first become interested in jazz? Even before jazz, my my love of just music in general started at a really young age. Like a lot of artists, I think that music has its beginning uh, with their faith, you know? Um, and and mine, mine really, my love of music really began with, with my faith. Um, and it kind of stemmed from there. My, my dad... Um, had a real zeal for this music they called jazz. And um, he started to become a DJ at um, the the little public radio station here that uh, we live in called Ketchikan, Ketchikan, Alaska. It's um, just a little town, a little island town in Southeast Alaska. And the, the public radio program we have here um, well, I should say that the public radio station is KRBD. And um, when I was just a little girl, he started hosting a, a jazz show called Sunday Jazz. Every Sunday night uh, from 9 to 11, he went on the air and shared his love of music. And he learned so much doing the, the radio show. And I remember going with him when I was a, just a little girl and just... Starting out simple, you know, he'd he'd ask me to maybe introduce an artist or read the uh, a little bit of the liner notes in the album, and my my love of jazz music really stemmed from from my dad's radio program called Sunday Jazz, uh, which has now um, become a, a show called the the show formerly known as Sunday Jazz. But that's really where my love of jazz and and the the real learning of the music came from is is really my dad's radio show here. Now, I'm interested in that idea of faith. Do you have like a specific example? What, what's the connection between the faith and the music? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Well, I mean, music, even without faith, is a powerful thing. And then when you combine music with faith, it becomes an even more powerful thing and almost sort of divine expression uh, of praise. Um, so, you know, I learned at a very young age about who God was and what his name was. And, and I was able to understand that and, and praise him through the music. And I'm a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I don't think we ever discussed that, but 
Um, so in my uh, history, um, when I was being introduced to this beautiful music of, of my faith, I just, I just fell in love with the melodies. I really fell in love with the melodies. And I didn't even really know what the words were saying when I was three, four years old, but it was the melodies that really caught my attention and really kind of fermented in my heart. And then when I got older and learned what the words were with the, the these melodies um, that are so dear to my heart, it was an even more powerful thing. And so that's what I mean about connecting music with, with faith. It's, it's connecting this beautiful thing that our creator gave us um, with these beautiful melodies. And I don't know, in my opinion, there really isn't anything more beautiful than that. It's almost like music as a prayer kind of an idea. And, uh, you know, if you look at some of the greats of jazz, like a love Supreme, you know, not necessarily, he wasn't necessarily a Jehovah witness, but there was that idea of jazz as kind of a spiritual expression or, or it's almost a, like a prayer. So it's interesting that you're connecting. So for, for you, it seems like the music is really an extension of an expression of yourself, a very important part of yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I learned at a at an early, early age that prayer is something very personal, just like jazz is. I mean, it's almost like this empty slate. And here you are able to pour out your heart to whoever it is you do believe in. For me, it's it's Jehovah. And, you know, I, I relate it to jazz in that way, you know, like with jazz in particular, it's like this empty slate and you have, you, you're given some colors, you're given some framework, but it's to make your own it, more so than any kind of other music. It's a very personal expression. Very, very interesting insight. Now, how did you get started as recording as a jazz artist? Well, in Ketchikan, we have what's called uh, the Jazz and Cabaret Festival, and that's been going on for about 20, maybe a little less than 20, 20 years um, it's, they put a halt on it due to the pandemic. So there, there wasn't, um, it didn't happen last year, uh, or the year before, I think it's been about two years now. Yeah. But it's where, um, you know, our small town, um, arts program called the, um, first city players, they're the drama and they do all different kinds of arts with the community members here. They, um, have been connecting with, certain particular New York City uh, artists, jazz artists in particular, and bringing them to Ketchikan every winter around uh, the beginning of January. And it's a two-week workshop where community members in this small town of Ketchikan get to learn uh, what the American Songbook is. Um, they get to learn what jazz is. They get to um, be in a two-week workshop, and then at the end of it, there's a performance at the end, and it's just such a rewarding uh, experience, especially for those that are first coming into the music, and even those that are more advanced. They can um, draw so much from the experience of these musicians that, that come from New York City. Among them are um, uh, jazz guitarist Paul Myers, and he lives outside of New York, um, I think actually New New Jersey is where he's from, but um, and then pianist Ann Phillips comes to town every year, and her her late husband Bob Kindred, a saxophone play, player um, from New York, used to come, but he passed away a few years ago. But it's just where 
New York musicians with experience come to Ketchikan and teach teach uh, interested ones how to play and sing jazz. That's fascinating. What's the motivation for those artists to come there? And, and they're probably interacting with people who aren't very experienced. What do you think the motivation for those people were, was to go down into that local area and help people uh, play jazz? It's a very um, kind of niche music. And I think the main motivation was to teach um, and to instill an understanding of the music and then a, a, um, a joy for the music, um, an appreciation. Wonderful. Who are some of your favorite artists in terms of how they bring their own musical identities, their own expression to certain standards? You know, one of my favorite artists isn't a vocalist, uh, and he has passed away. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard of him, Stan Getz. Um, he's a sax player, and there's just no tone like him. There's a timber to his sax playing that's just completely... Um, I'm enamored by it. I'm just enamored by it. It's kind of got this like, wow, how would I even describe it? I think it's, they say he's got the, the saxophone tone of a, of a, if you imagine what a dry martini would sound like if that drink was a sound, that's what he sounds like. And it's just, it's captivating. It's captivating. Um, to me and and the different uh, genres he's explored out of jazz. I mean, he he's done a lot of Latin and um, Brazilian bossa nova type stuff, which I'm just so drawn to. A lot of people are drawn to that type of music because it's it really draws you in and it just puts you in a really warm place. Even the not so, I guess, quote unquote. Uh, happy uh, bossa nova Latin tunes just they put me in a just a really nice comfortable spot and um, uh, so yeah I have to say Stan Getz is one of my top favorite I really like pianist Bill Evans too uh, one of the things I really like about Bill Evans is I just feel like he he plays and I can hear this humility this modesty and he's just honoring these great compositions. I mean, it's just, he's not putting himself so much in the forefront of it, but he's putting, he's, he's putting the music in the forefront of his playing. And there's just this beautiful humility that I hear uh, when he plays. Uh, in terms of a vocalist, one of my favorite modern vocalists, and she's also a fabulous pianist. She's she's um, from Brazil. Her name is Eliane Elias, and she was a pianist before she started singing. Um, that's really uh, her her thing. But then she started singing, and she's just got this voice that could melt you into butter. I mean, it's just beautiful. I don't know if you've ever heard of Eliane Elias, but um, she was just nominated for a Latin Grammy um, from her album that she did right before Chick Corea passed away. And their album is called Mirror Mirror. And um, I encourage you or your listeners, if you haven't checked her out, to, to check her out. But those are a few of my favorites. Those are all awesome artists. I know Stan Getz was actually one of the very first artists I listened to. And it was just like you said, it, it was the, um, the girl from Ipanema, of course, which is one of the, you know, the great and it was such a, it was kind of, you know, it wasn't a, a very happy song, really, but it was very, 
it did get you in kind of a interesting state of mind. It was, it's a, it's an interesting artist. Um, I'm kind of curious, what are your thoughts about, I don't know if you've heard, I guess Kenny G is planning on doing some kind of duet thing with a, like an, uh, like a computer generated Stan Getz. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? I had no idea that was in the, in the mix. Um, that's an interesting idea. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily against it. I'm not necessarily for it. I think it'll be interesting. Um, in terms of technology, I mean, there's just endless things that we can do to expand our ability to play and listen to music. I I think what's going on um, technologically with music is actually pretty awe-inspiring, you know? I mean, there's things that I think um, a voice or somebody really playing the music um, can do that a computer will never be able to do. Um, in terms of the expression uh, of the humanity and like the emotional aspect of somebody singing or playing, I'm not quite sure a computer will ever be able to do that just because a computer is not human. And, and there's only certain things that humans can do and there's only certain things that computers can do um but it seems at least a little bit more endless with what humans can do um i'm amazed that that's going to happen uh in terms of a computer really shining through the emotion though and like the psychological um depth behind a voice or you know a player I just I, I I honestly don't know if that would ever be able to happen um, just because computers are machines. I'm kind of like you. I'm kind of curious as to how they're going to bring in the I mean, Stan Getz sounds like Stan Getz to me when you're listening. It's one of those like Louis Armstrong. You know, if you listen to a Louis Armstrong record, that's that's Louis Armstrong. If you listen to Stan Getz, that's Stan Getz. And to me, it's going to be interesting how you get that level of humanity with with a computer so it, it will be interesting I, i'm curious to see what we'll, we'll have to see how that turns out well like unless you mix a human voice with a computer voice if you combine the two then maybe it could be possible yeah i i don't know i guess i it, and i didn't read a lot about it but my thinking is they're trying to do like this ai like artificial intelligence thing where they I guess they analyze maybe probably his old recordings or or something and, and then try to make it like it's an original thing, like an like a an artificially constructed Stan Getz. It's it's a kind of a strange project uh in in, in a lot of ways. Uh I've I've heard a lot of mixed feelings about about it. Uh my my kind of my reservation is also like you. It's kind of how is the computer going to bring out that human expression that's really so important in jazz? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's possible unless you would mix the human voice with the computer voice, then maybe it would be possible. But I mean, there's just certain things the computer will never be able to do on its own. You know, I mean, the computer does not have a human brain, you know, and the human brain, as much as we've figured a lot of it out, there's we haven't even scratched the surface to what it can do. I mean, I, 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 
I see the human brain is almost a reflection of the universe. It's endless what we're able to do. I mean, we die when we're like, what, 75, 80 years old. And how much of our brain did we actually use when you go in and you analyze it? It's about 3%. I mean, it's just what we're capable of is just complete, infinite eternity. I'm a Christian. My worldview is that humans are created in God's image. And through expression of our humanity, we can often express something that is greater than just ourselves. I'm also a big fan of science fiction. And there's the age-old question, you know, man versus technology. It's a conflict you see often in sci-fi stories. I think there's always something special about human expression, though. You know, people have a free will. They struggle. They overcome. They have the opportunity to reflect something that is greater than themselves. Machines can really only superficially recreate human expression. And there's also a certain amount of mysteriousness with the human brain. I mean, we can tell what a, we can tell a computer what to do. But there's always more the human brain can do. You know what I mean? Like, and part of the the beauty of music and jazz, jazz in particular, especially with the the scatting and the improvisation, is that mystery. Where is he gonna go? Where is she gonna go with her solo? Sometimes we don't even know where we're gonna go. It's it's something mysteriously driven, you know? And that I don't think a computer will ever really be able to do. Absolutely. Well, my dad's actually a hypnotist. He's a, a hypnotherapist. And one of the one of the things you learn is that, you know, subconscious is a very important part of everything you do. And really for artists, if you I can't tell you how many artists I've talked to, and they will tell you directly that they don't really consciously they get their conscious mind out of the way when they're creating art. You know, when you're or writers, I was just talking to Chuck Haddix. Uh, he, he authored a book on Kansas City Jazz. He authored another uh, popular book or a significant book on Charlie Parker. And he says, when he sits down to write, he doesn't think about writing. He just does it. And he's subconsciously in, in this experience of writing. And I kind of think that's how it is with musicians. They really, I mean, they'll study their craft. They'll learn everything they can. They'll, they'll learn the jazz language, but when they're up there, they're not consciously thinking about all this stuff They're They are in this moment creating, they're using what they've, They've learned, but they are drawing uh, usually subconsciously from, you know, who they are as a person and they're expressing themselves. And that, that's really sets apart, you know, a really great artist, in my opinion, with jazz. Now, as somebody who is who's recorded some albums, what has been a challenge for you in recording jazz? One of the challenges is if you see it as a challenge um, is just deciding what to record. I mean, there's just so many great songs of the past and songs that they're writing now. I mean, there's just so, I, I view it as treasure in a treasure box. I mean, it's endless in the past and in the future and in the present. What, and you know, I mean, there, we only have so many years in our life in this, in this system, at least. And I guess for me, one of the challenges is deciding how to consolidate it, you know, what to, what to record, you know, and what is it that I'm really identifying with? What is it that I feel like I've kind of experienced, you know, that way when I, when I, when I really draw upon songs that I can relate to, that's, that at least helps with the challenge. <laughs> it helps me kind of narrow it down, but yeah, I'd say that's one of the biggest challenges is deciding which one to sing and, 
um, at least in terms of singing the standards, you know. What are some jazz standards that have been most meaningful to you? Well, lately, um, and I always knew about this song, but I never really identified with it until recently, um, is the song Sophisticated Lady. Do you know that one? Oh, yeah. Duke Ellington. Yeah. The, the melody is very challenging, but very hauntingly beautiful. And I like the story. The story is uh, about a woman that had a love that she let go of long ago, and it's still haunting her. And she's still figure, trying to figure out what's what's really wrong with her. And I think by the end of the song, she figures it out. And she's longing for maybe a mistake that she made early on in life with a, a love, a lost love. How important are the lyrics in jazz standards? I imagine for a vocalist, this, your answer is going to be they're very important, but just kind of getting your perspective on it. How important are lyrics and what we would call the great American songbook with all these jazz standards? They've become more important over the years. I have to admit, when I first started listening to the music, I couldn't help but just narrow in on the melody. And I wasn't just, I wasn't not narrowing in on the lyrics for any particular reason. It was just, that's where my brain went. It just focused early on, when, especially when I was a kid listening to this music, it just automatically, intuitively focused on the melodies. Um, and then as I got older, the story became more important. And now they're very important. Both, both are important, you know? I like to sing songs that I can identify with the melody on and, and also the lyrics. I think it was Dizzy Gillespie who once said that he views like the jazz standards as being a vehicle. What are your thoughts on that idea of the jazz standard as a vehicle for your expression? Well, like I said earlier, it's like it's an it's a it's a empty slate. It's a blank slate. It's a it's a blank pa- uh, piece of paper that these composers yeah you know um hoagie carmichael duke ellington johnny mercer they provided us with the tools and now that we have the tools we can make it our own in any other in any way but i think it's important to honor the original piece of art, you know, but also just have a healthy dose of honoring the composer, honoring the original, but also a dose of yourself in it. Because without yourself in it, what is it really? It's not yours. It's not yours until you put yourself into it, until you make yourself that character in the song. Then it becomes you, then it becomes yours. And then people will truly listen to you when you've made it your own. You know, they they won't be able to not. It's just you've made it your own. And that's being true to yourself and being true to the song. Can you take us into the creative process? How do you put yourself into into the song? Do you research the songs a lot? Do you think about the lyrics? How are you putting yourself into that song? Well, I'm asking myself if I've experienced it. And sometimes it's not experiencing it. Sometimes it's longing for it. It's it's something that you want to happen, even if it hasn't happened to you yet. To me, that's still putting yourself into it through a different perspective. It's not necessarily the experience of going through the story of the song, but it's 
an experience of wanting to go through it. And to me, that's just as true as, as going through it. It almost sounds like imagination is really, really important for a jazz vocalist. Yeah, yeah. Imagination is is what gives us creativity. It's what gives us insight. It's what enables us to become what we haven't quite become yet. I hope you are enjoying my interview with Stephanie Patton, and perhaps it is giving you some food for thought about human potential and jazz as a vehicle for personal expression. At this point in our conversation, the interview took an interesting turn, and I will be releasing that part of the interview as a separate episode at the end of this month. Make sure you keep an eye out for episode number 11. In the meantime, be sure to check out Stephanie's album, A Breath of Spring. Also, check out her jazz radio show, at www.afterhoursalaska.com. Thanks for listening to the Jazz and Blues Affinity Podcast. Make sure you are subscribed on your favorite platforms so you never miss one of our exclusive interviews. Learn more about the podcast, find detailed show notes, and listen to previous episodes over at www.jazzandbluesaffinity.com. Take care. And join Derek next week for another great conversation.